really recruit people. This is going to be an extremely practical series. And it's something I've been uh, thinking about framing up for a while. It's framed up by another journey that a church did. But the messages are going to be contained within some of the heart that's been pressing in my heart for us as people and in our culture. And uh, it just seems a lot of times that some guardrails are needed that aren't functioning in our world. So uh, please invite people to come for next week. And when you get something on social media this week, share it and post it, pass it along to your friends list. And that's sort of how we do some outreach. And so as we get into the heart of October here, we're going to be running with that really strong guardrails. And if anybody has access to a real guardrail, come talk to me after service. I wouldn't mind having one of those. All right. I am going to uh, have us begin this morning uh, by reading some scripture. We're going to uh, just have a standalone message today, and I want to invite you to take your word, if you have it, and stand with me if you don't have scripture, whether uh, with your Bibles or on your app on a phone, uh, you can just follow along as I read. So please stand with me as we stand for the reading of God's word this morning. It comes from 2 Corinthians 4. We're going to talk about not losing heart today. These are words from the Apostle Paul in the midst of a journey of life and the journey that he was commissioned to in the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I have believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have this same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. And then in verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. 
For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Will you pray with me? Jesus, Jesus, who we worshiped here this morning and who we hear spoken of from this word, this sacred book, a word that is not ancient, but a word that is contemporary for everyone in this room. Jesus, may you illuminate your word and Jesus, may your presence be real, strong, visible even in the lives of those of us who have come to draw near to you. Lord Jesus, today, draw people to you. For Lord, as I have discovered in these days, when it comes to the end, we have no one but him. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as most of you know, I've been on a journey as your pastor in the last three weeks. It's good to be back. I want to say thank you for your prayers and your support. It's hard to believe that uh, the journey that has comprised my last three weeks actually took place. But I stand before you today truly with what I prayed there at the end. Jesus, today, draw people to you. For in the end, we have nothing but him. When I last spoke, I shared with you that uh, we were surprised that my mom, who lives in the farmhouse back in central Indiana, had taken a turn that we hadn't anticipated. She was 89 years old. Her mom lived to be 100, so we thought we were pretty good into the 90s. And um, she had fallen. She had been in rehab. And when she went in for a regular heart appointment, they admitted her. They admitted her, and within a few days, they began to talk to us that maybe her life end was near. And we're like, what? We were just trying to get mom healthy. She was strong. She was going at it. She was even requesting in the rehab place that she could do rehab on the weekends when they sort of shut it down because she was ready to, to keep going and get back into the farmhouse and to continue to be a source of inspiration and encouragement to us as extended family, but also to um, uh, just carry on with what she felt was her calling in life. And a lot of that was to pray. And a lot of those prayers were headed my direction. They were headed your directions for us as a church even. But the journey I've been on was one that happened quite quickly. I actually had gone back to be a part of the 40th high school reunion that some of you recall I made mention of. Uh, but the morning after my red eye, I had my brother come upstairs and it doesn't happen at the farmhouse. And he said, Carrie, I'm sorry to get you up so quickly, but the same things have changed. And that transpired into a four-day hospital season 
where we had people starting to talk about hospice and the hospice aspects were like not something we were really interested in necessarily. It's like, come on, that kind of thing. They were telling us this and, and they actually uh, had someone come in to see if she qualified for hospice and she flunked the test. Her mind was keen. She was able to walk with some help around her bed. She was able to, with support, be able to go to the restroom and, and other kinds of things. It's like, well, she doesn't qualify for in-home hospice. Well, we didn't think so, man. Well, what, what are our choices? And they said, well, you can do in-home health care and those kinds of things, or you could, you know, do in-home hospice stuff too. And we're like, really? And so we said, you know, what, what do you want to do, mom? And she says, you know, I, I think I want to go home. And so we got her home. And for five nights, yours truly up here took the nighttime shift to make sure mom was good. I was glad she made it through the first night because I didn't want to have that on my head for the rest of my life. Well, we turned it over to Carrie for the first night and she didn't make it, you know. Five nights and then my wife came because she is the kind of caregiver my mother would have needed and so she came to be able to minister. But on October the 2nd, on a Wednesday at 7 p.m., my mom, Norma Jean Bowman, went to be with her Savior, Jesus Christ. From the, hey, we're going to see mom and get her back home, to the hospital, to the idea of in home, to hospice care, to um, passing away, to funeral arrangements, to family support. It was a journey of three weeks that was rather intense for me. And I just want to say thanks for your prayers. Some of you saw my postings on Facebook. Many of you have gone through this similar kind of journey, may not in that type of expedited way. Some of you this morning are going through that kind of journey. My words to share with you this morning are not uh, in regards necessarily to that journey of a loved one passing away, but it's going to reflect on that which I want to speak about. You may be in some other kind of journey that you're on and you're hard pressed, you're perplexed, and uh, there is challenge going on in your life. I want you to know that the scriptures teach us and through Jesus Christ, you need to be encouraged not to lose heart this morning. Because life stands still in those moments, doesn't it? It doesn't matter what's on TV. It's not interesting the political news or ball games or whatever other shows are being highlighted. You're in a twilight zone a little bit, and you know that you're having these sacred moments. Well, maybe the perplexing time that you're in, the world's going on around you, and it all seems to be distant. And people will come up and say, hi to you, how are you doing, trying to encourage you, this or that, other things. But it's a lonely road sometimes, and I want you to know that you do not need to lose heart because when the end comes, all we have is him. But friends, we have him. We have him. And in that, as we talked about in the Kingdom of God series we were in, the epic series, we have the world that stands before us. And so much of the encouragement has come in these days with that reality that stands beyond this life. We are not, as I've said before, you've heard me say this, we are not human beings having some kind of spiritual experience here on earth. We are spiritual beings who have a human experience that transcends into a supernatural experience with Him forever and all that He has. 
And so I don't know how you're crushed down today, how you might be losing heart today, but you can have him and you can draw near to him, him alone. And that was the message my mom carried. And she carried it through to us kids. Us five siblings, we were gathered in that hospital room that first week and and when they came in to talk about the serious matter of discussions, I mean, mom's bright, alert there, laying in the bed. So she was sitting in her chair, I guess, that particular moment. And, and you're like, well, should we be talking like this around mom? And it dawned on us that there was transition that was going to be happening. She was not going to ever go back to be who she was in one sense. So for instance, we didn't know that it would be the final end. But, you know, my dear mother, she had said to me earlier, she said, you know, Carrie, this last spring, as I've sat here in the farmhouse, and you got to understand, it's not just a farmhouse out in the middle of nowhere, and by the way, the picture that's behind this is the country road of which I walk and I grew up on, so it's the farmhouse, 140-year-old house, same house I lived in when I grew up, I go back and sleep in the same bed, I know that is like weird, but it's been a precious home base. <laughs> for me, right? It's like, hey, man, this is, this is home, and home's mom, but there's the whole big farm operation uh, where they farm several thousand acres, and it's the base of operation, so she's sort of like in the midst, but her light in that house was the light of the farmstead in many ways, but she said, you know, I, I was thinking the past few months that there's a change coming. The Lord was prompting me there was a change coming, Carrie, but I, I didn't know what that change would be. And then she shared with us in the hospital that room that day as we were all starting to bust up and cry. She said, you know, I wanted to see more weddings. I wanted to see more babies. But if this is what the Lord wants, then I'm fine with that. Because I get to go see my Jesus. That little pronoun, my means the world. And it's a world of difference between saying, oh, you go to go to heaven and being able to say, I can see oh, Jesus. That's a different kind of life. Well, yeah, it's sort of still Christianized at some level in America, right? So, oh yeah, you die, you go to heaven. That's what everybody thinks, right? Well, that's not necessarily what scripture teaches. You get to go to heaven if you have my Jesus and you're a follower of him. But my mom lived with Jesus. She was never, ever alone in that house. If I was to go back and visit and I would come down early in the morning, she would be there on the couch or making her way around the kitchen, whatever, with Jesus, reading his word, whatever it may be. And she would worship the Lord Jesus. Now, my mom wasn't perfect by any means, and I don't need to, to, to pick that, but there was a preciousness to her. And there were things that she carried in life that were passed on to us as kids. And her life work is depicted in this picture. Her life work was her family. Five of us kids, 18 grandkids, and eight plus two on the way, great grandkids. And this was her life. And she served. She prayed. She encouraged she spoke truth. And we enjoyed the Lord's favor through her. 
This is what the Lord wants. It's fine. I get to go be with my Jesus. We were excited uh, the Thursday, actually, that I got back because we got her home. And I, I called and said, hey, where are you at? Because my uh, uh, brother and his wife were bringing her home. said, we got a package we're delivering. She's coming home. And we were so excited because we wanted to get her home home, right? In fact, if you look at her kitchen above the sink, and this is in a good way, there was a plaque that says Mom's Place. Because that's where she operated. And that's where she served from a lot. And we got her home, and, and I took on the first night. What do I need to do? We got the uh, hospital bed in there. We rearranged furnitures. My uh, brother went out and got two of those lazy boy chairs that actually move up, you know, where you sort of stand up in them. I mean, we're ready to do this home, home care thing and thought mostly maybe she'd get back to some strength. But um, she struggled, and she kept struggling. In fact, it was the fourth night that I thought we did better that night than the night before. Uh, I wasn't up and down as much. I was able to make sure she got some fluids, those kinds of things. And, but that morning, I heard her crying out in a still small voice, Lord, why does it take so long to die? And I knew in those moments that we were facing the latter days. Some of you work with hospice. You've been around this before. You never quite know how long that goes on. But she so desired to be with my Jesus that she was crying out to the Lord. Let's go. Let's get it on. She was keen all the way up until 24 hours before she passed away. We had different uh, ones of these individuals would come in, and, and that was sort of cool. We were actually, the night she passed, all five of us siblings were in the house together. And she would give encouragement instruction to grandkids. You know, I, you know <laughs> she's like, you know, I remember one of them coming in. Hey, Grandma, it's so-and-so, I'm here, that kind of thing. Good to see you. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> and then she went right into the truth thing. She says, follow the Lord with all of your life. Okay, Grandma, I will. I want to see you in the end. Okay, Mom. Grandma, I'll be there. Some others came in and some dear words spoken as she ministered to them. But I knew that probably the days were shorter rather than longer. Melissa was doing a great job being a caregiver and and giving to her in that sixth night, I think it was, I was able to sleep some as she took care. I took some of the time in the morning farm operation. They got business that they've got to get out, of course, in the fields and other things. And, and so we were there, but someone had brought food in for the family, which is always a nice gift. And that was being eaten. And I went in and I sat by mom. I was given charge from my wife to give a morphine uh, injection that's or whatever not injection yeah placed inside of her mouth at 7 p.m so i was waiting there sitting in the chair mom i'm here and uh she was in that type of state that she was no longer responding of course and and um the sadness effects and i want you to know that uh, i'm not going to embellish this by any means but i'm trying to think through exactly how that happened but I'm there in my chair, and I look over her at her, laying in the hospital bed in her bedroom, 
and she had not exchanged expressions for quite a while. We'd taken her off. She had oxygen on, some other kinds of things. But I saw her eyebrows just all of a sudden jump. And I don't know if it was in that moment or shortly after, but when I stepped up then to give her uh, that medicine, and I said, Mom, I'm here to help you walk through this some. It's carrying. I'm like, I'm going to get the little dose here right, that kind of thing. And then I stuck my finger in her mouth, and she closed her mouth. And I thought, oh, my wife said, make sure you wash your hands. So I ran to the restroom, but quick, wash my hands. And when I came back, and I tried to give it to her. It didn't take. And she had breathed her last. And I don't know if it was in the eyebrows raising or if it was when I, she closed her mouth. Maybe those of England can help me with this. Some, but she was past. She was gone. And if you've lost a loved one, that word gone just sort of settles with you. Gone. She's gone. My brother had stepped in at that moment. I looked buggy-eyed at him, and he's like, and then we got the others to come in. She's gone. And I literally was beside her bed for some of the last breaths that she had in her life. But you have to then ask the question on the other side of the word gone, gone where? And it's true that your hope is in Jesus in that moment because gone where? She's gone to be with my Jesus and in that we had peace. I knew my sisters would take it the hardest, but when you give care for someone in their dying moments, there's some healing in that. And you hear them speak some of the words that they wanted to say, and you're gathered around. Some of you might find this humorous, but the words that she said to me I, uh, are not some big, oh, these are grand Osea words, but they're probably a good instruction for me. Uh, my wife said, you know, keep singing some hymns to her or read her scripture. So the last words she spoke to me was the day before, a few hours, I guess, somewhere in that night before, right? She said, sorry, quiet. That was it. <laughs> Something more profound, Mom? You're telling your preacher boy to be quiet. <laughs> Probably a good word. But in her space and her time, what was going on there is a thin place. Remember Greg England speaking about this once, just the whole thin place where the future life and this life comes together. Eyebrows, my Jesus. So it was a week ago, this very hour, that we were beginning viewing for my mom. And uh, it was a blessed time. Our family sang some hymns. And we read some scripture in the funeral the next day. This here are the two things that my mom used to know my Jesus. Her hymn book, she was a piano player. She played for a church, the churches we were in. And this is sacred to me. Many of these hymns, as I walked through them, I remember singing. This was her Bible, but this wasn't her original Bible. I don't know how many Bibles she went through. In the back of her Bible, there was an article on kindness. I suppose one of the best ways to sum it up is with a quote I believe is worth saying, people saying again, 
People will forget what you say. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. And that's true. She's gone. Part of the gone feeling was the kindness and the servant heart that mom carried with her into her children week in and week out. She had some other items in here. One was the hymn that we sang at the end of her service. Until then, until then my heart will go on singing. Until then, with joy I'll carry on. Until the day my eyes behold the city. Until the day God calls me home. I'm not sure why this was printed out other than we sang that hymn as some family members at my dad's passing six years prior. Probably one of the more notable things that was in my mom's Bible at the end. And I'm just going to share this briefly with you because I believe there's some challenge here today for those of us as parents and how we're living our life before our kids and what we're doing with our time. But at the back of her Bible was a note. It was on stationery from a hotel. We used to all get together with his family sometimes and hang out in a, in a, uh, a city. Norma Jean's prayer list. Pray for grandchildren and children consistently. Pray for them to be saved. To guard them from temptation and evils. The desire to do right. Avoid what is wrong. Seek his will for their lives as they grow older. Pray for their decisions that they will be making. Pray for the difficulties they are facing. Pray because you love them and about what happens to them. Open their hearts and lives to Jesus. Pray for them to become his followers. And whether she wrote this prayer list or received it from someone else, this was her prayer list of praying for her kids. And maybe you're in a season of life praying for your kids, or maybe you're praying for a loved one or even a spouse, and you're like, I don't know, is it going anywhere? Friends, I've seen those prayers answered. Every one of the extended family members at some level has a faith in Jesus and believes in him. And I believe to a large extent, the protection through the years is because of my mother's prayers for us. The passage that I read to you at length, I read at the beginning of the funeral last Monday. I have never read 2 Corinthians 4 at a funeral. Usually you start off Psalm 23 or something like that that brings some type of you know, general solace or encouragement. But I felt led because 10 minutes before I was to stand up to, to lead this service and different family members spoke and songs being sung. It's really a beautiful time together. The Lord encouraged me not to lose heart. I'm fine knowing that my Lord... My mom is with the Lord, my Jesus. She, to the very end, she was saying things like, I hope I do this well. Don't grieve for me. It's like, Mom, we're going to grieve. I'm sorry. <laughs> do this well. She tried to do everything well. In fact, when we ask her, uh, Mom, what do you want, what do you want to do? Um, 
you know, when we went back to the rehab place or tried to hang out in the hospital, somebody, she says, well, I think I would like to go home. But then she said, I guess there's an awful lot of I in that, isn't there? And we said, Mom, your whole life you've given. And yes, we're not fully sanctified till the other side. You can have your desire and your wish. Because one of her verses, I'm crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives within me. But in that moment, as I was getting ready to leave the funeral service to give memory, I, I, I needed to be encouraged because I was losing heart, not just because of the loss of mom, but the loss of a season of my life. And sometimes I hesitate to say this, and if some of you have been around here a while, you're like, he always talks about that Indiana farm an awful lot. This is what it was, and what it is today. It was an anchor of stability in my life where I know I'm loved unconditionally, I'm championed for ministry, and I'm prayed for consistently. And it doesn't matter what's going on in life, you go back home in that environment the farm environment you worked on, you served together on, it was an oasis. And so when I walked the country mile, and I'd walk down to the crossroads, and I'd lay at the crossroads, and people think I'd crazy sometimes, but there are not a lot of cars that come. South, north, east, west. Lord, you've got it all, and it's on that country road that stands behind you that a lot of my calling for ministry came. And so my loss was a fear of loss of some of that. God showed me that it's not going to happen, that that's still there. My family still is there. The place is still there. The strength is still there. I'm very glad to be here. In fact, when I go back to the Midwest, I'm like, you know, I think the Midwest, it's covered as a mission field, but SoCal is a mission field. So that's what I think now. I'm like, I'm going back. But it was that loss, and so moments before I stood up, the Lord reminded me of this. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. Therefore set your sight not on what is seen, but what is unseen. When you see your mother roll down on a gurney through the kitchen that she labored in to be placed in the hearse and you're giving honor to her on that little trek, you know she's not there. She is with the Lord and she stepped into that which all of us who are followers of Christ will step into but only if we too can say, my Jesus. The words in this passage, the Apostle Paul said, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. What was the ministry that he was not losing heart about? It was the ministry not of religion and rules and institutional systems, and laws, it was the ministry of God's grace. Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
That was his powerful message that the Apostle Paul had to give. And he was undaunted in the task of being able to communicate good news and live the good news for one who had persecuted Christians. To be able to share the gospel of God's grace. And it's not just the forgiveness of his sins. It's literally the life of Jesus coming to give you life. Lord, why does it take so long to die? She's not speaking to a Jesus way out there, but to the Jesus that would dwell within her because when she invited Christ in her life as a young person, the spirit of Jesus penetrated her very vessel and that spirit gave her spiritual life. And here's the thing that you realize on some of the deathbed experiences. It's the people that are in Jesus who have Christ in them that are the ones who are alive, and it's those of us who are living that are really the dead. And my mom had a passion for seeing people become spiritually alive. Big family meeting we had when I was younger. I think I might go to graduate school. I think I might go into ministry. I really like working here in the corporation. The home corporation is like, no, you go if that's what God's calling you to do. Because they were always supportive of that. And whether it was vocational ministry or whether it was being in some other vocation, God used the family that mom prayed for to help bring people spiritually alive. My mom never had the opportunity to see us move into our new house over in French Valley. She came the original Sunday here. I always wanted her to come to see this. She was too um, hesitant to do that back in the spring. When I really tried to get her to come, when I graduated from Fuller Seminary with the D-men, and I said, Mom, come. And she said, Carrie, I don't think I'm strong enough to make it. But she was always one who was about seeing spiritually dead people come alive. In her younger years, she served faithfully in something called Child Evangelism Fellowship. And they had the different color beads. I mean, this is old. The beads would describe, you know, darkness of sin, the blood of Jesus Christ, wash you as white as snow, that kind of thing. And yellow, yield to him. And she faithfully served in children's ministry. She faithfully played out of this hymn book and many others for Alliance Churches. She helped start Alliance Church with her husband, with my dad. She had the desire to be faithful in ministry because people who do not have my Jesus are spiritually flatlined. And we have a call to get the good news out. Maybe you're here this morning and my encouragement be to you, hello, is Jesus in you? Or are you just sitting in church? Because sitting in church doesn't get you anywhere. Even if you're here every Sunday. My Jesus the Apostle Paul said, rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. He had a lot of opposition. People that were saying what he was preaching and proclaiming was wrong. But he said, no, you need to understand. Other people are doing different things, but we are not the shenanigan people. And he wasn't pointing to himself. He was pointing to Jesus. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth, we plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Could that be true of you as the Apostle Paul? The life you're leading for the gospel, the grace of Jesus, we commend ourselves to other people, not commending, trying to toot your own horn, but to be able to point them to my Jesus. 
And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. This is a powerful statement by the Apostle Paul. You know, he was a Hebrew, and Hebrews had this abstract thinking of light and light shining. When Paul was converted, he was converted by the light of Jesus coming upon him in Damascus Road. The Hebrews had this idealism of light. He was also ministering in Greek cities. Greeks were about knowledge. And he was up against Rome. And Rome was about its glory. And here the Apostle Paul sums this up and says, He has made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed. What? In the face of Christ. He was consumed with this passion. Verse 7, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You saw those flowers earlier. My oldest sister, she's into flowers. She wanted there to be six dozen roses on that casket, and there were, I'm sorry, five dozen roses representing us five kids. These are some of those roses. I brought them back, and you put them in a clay vessel. Friends, the hope and the glory that we have to point people to in my Jesus we may have in broken, frail, clay jars, but the beauty of God's glory cannot compare. Is your life in the challenge that you're in right now demonstrating the beauty of the glory, of the knowledge, of the light in the face of Christ Jesus? It goes on in 2 Corinthians 8 through 15, which I read early. This verse, though, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. I saw death working in my mother's life in just those few days I had, but I saw her still trying to give out the light of truth and life in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what you're going through, how hard down you are, maybe some of your deepest trial right now, God's going to use to meet some people's needs and encourage them in ways that could have never been met unless you were walking that road. So do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Look up for the gospel of grace that you have to carry on in your life and let the light and the power and the beauty of Jesus Christ shine through your broken clay pot. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Let Christ renew you within. For our light and momentary troubles 
are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Friends, I'm not ever going to be the same after staying with my mom through the last five nights on this earth and seeing her breathe her last breath. There's an awful lot of things in this seen world that matter to me less today than they did three weeks ago when I was with you. But I will not lose heart, and I am going to fixate my thoughts on things that are eternal. Not losing heart, I've asked Joe to come and close us with a song of power. I think that's good. When I opened Mom's hymnal, there's a big old paper clip. It was stuck between two hymns, one you're very familiar with. My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior, art thou, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. That hymn, we sang around her. And that hymn, she faithfully fulfilled till the end. The other side of the paper clip, though, is, well, a hymn you probably never heard. It was a poem by A.B. Simpson, founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance, of whom we're the movement. It was funny, you know, we did get a few words in with mom about, hey, you know, I know you got some things around the house, where might those be, you know? Maybe she kept some cash, she said where it was at. And then she says, I want any gifts that are given to me to go to the missionaries of the Christian Missionary Alliance. she's about getting the gospel to the ends of the world. <laughs> she goes, I just feel bad because I don't think I gave enough. I'm like, Mom, don't be having that regret right now. But this poem, this hymn called Himself was penned by A.B. Simpson who started the movement we're a part of. It's literally around the world. and It goes like this. Points back to my Jesus. Once it was the blessing, now it is the Lord. Once it was the feeling, now it is his word. Once his gifts I wanted, now the giver own. Once I sought for healing, now himself alone. Once it was painful trying, now tis perfect trust. Once a half salvation, now the uttermost. Once with ceaseless holding, now he holds me fast. Once with constant drifting, and now my anchor's cast. Once was busy planning, now tis trustful prayer. Once was anxious caring, now he has the care. Once was what I wanted, now what Jesus says. Once was constant asking, now tis ceaseless praise. Once it was my working, his and his shall be. Once I tried to use him, now he uses me. Once the power I wanted, now the mighty one. 
Once for self I labored, now for him alone. Once I hoped in Jesus, now I know he's mine. Once my lamps were dying, now they brightly shine. Once for death I waited, now his coming hail. And my hopes are anchored, safe within the veil. And then the simple chorus of this hymn that Simpson wrote and my mom played many a times and she had paper clipped here to her very end. All in all forever, Jesus will I sing. Everything in Jesus. And Jesus, everything. All in all forever, Jesus will I sing. Everything in Jesus. And Jesus, everything. If my mom could give her little words today, she would just simply say, follow the Lord with all your life and be there in the end. And you too will get to see my Jesus. We were at the gravesite casket, a few people gathered around the roses. Memorial Day, I was standing at this very same place with my mom. My brother, Levi, was there. My son and my sister, Joy. Mom's name was written on the tombstone. I said, Mom, does that bother you? Right next to Dad's. Without batting an eye, she said, No! Look around you! I don't know if you've walked through tomb, uh, graveyards recently. It's a good experience. Sobers you up in life. She said, look around you. This is resurrection ground. And so I told Joe, I don't know how I'm going to do it if I'm going to get through the talk today. But I want to sing that song. Death was arrested. And my life began. The song was actually written when someone was walking through a cemetery. I don't care what you're giving your life to today, and I know some of you are maybe in a tough place and you need to not lose heart. But friends, we have him. All in all forever, Jesus will I sing. Everything in Jesus, in Jesus everything. There is the promise of the resurrection and we get to be with him. Ushers are going to come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings, but let's sing this like we believe it. And may the Lord Jesus minister to you in your place of need in this hour because we have these days to live to see those who are spiritually dead and blinded to this age quickened and awakened through the power of the Spirit and salvation through Jesus Christ. If you'd like to have prayer today, there's a prayer area over here. You can meet someone with prayer. Maybe you don't know if you were to pass this week and you never know what a week holds where you would find yourself. You can pray to receive Christ as well. But let's receive the Lord's offering for his ministry here and beyond. And let's sing this song.